Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Last time I was with you, I, I, we went through 1 Samuel 5, 6, and 7. And uh, in doing that, uh, and then the week before the, the passages before that, chapters before that, I didn't feel like I was able to give uh, adequate attention to a, a very important theme in this book, and I want to come back and, and catch that up. It's the theme of honor, it's the theme of God's glory, and it uh, strikes us in a, uh, an unusual way through a Hebrew name, um, Ichavod, would probably be how the, the Hebrews would say it. I always pronounce it Ichabod. And as you think about Ichabod, just the way it sounds to us Americans, who would name their kid that? I mean, it's just, it just doesn't even sound good, Ichabod. I mean, you know, uh, in a few few weeks, Patty and I will take our annual trip to Myrtle Beach to, uh, you know, hang out at the beach, you know, and we'll, I'll be uh, walking down the beach, you know, holding on the, you know, most beautiful woman in the world there, you know, and just doing my little thing, sashaying along, and, you know, you'll hear those, you know, awkward little comments from the old women like, whoa, that's a hunk, yeah. But let's suppose that's not what you were hearing. Suppose as you're walking along, somebody says, Ooh, icky bud. Who, who would name their kids something like that? And that's what we have in 1 Samuel chapter 4. I want you to see it, then let me talk about it a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning at verse 19. <clears throat> now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was pregnant and about to give birth and when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died she kneeled down and gave birth for her pains came upon her and about the time of her death the women who stood by her said to her do not be afraid you've given birth to a son but she did not answer or pay attention and she called the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. And because of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. You get from the context the meaning of the name. The name Ichabod means no glory. In Hebrew, kabod, kabod means glory. It, no, no glory, or without glory. And here we've got a woman who says, that's what I want to call my son, because she gets the message of 1 Samuel. She gets something we need to get and understand, and that is the glory of God has departed. Now think about that a minute. There, there was this guy who had a, a racehorse, that he was trying to come up with a you know cool name for the racehorse, and as he was asking his friends, survey, you know, what should I call this horse? I think it's going to be good. And he finally came to the conclusion with well, this horse, somebody says, going to bring you glory. So he said, yeah. So let's just call her Glory. And she won a few races, and as she did, you know, the crowd would chant, Glory, Glory, Glory. You know, and as she crossed the finish line, Glory. We get that. 
because it brought him glory. That's what he wanted. We name some of our kids certain names because we want the characteristics of that name, the qualities of that name to be theirs. And so we come up with very good names sometimes like Hope or Grace or Charity or Gloria. These are good names that we, we have given our kids because they represent goodness, good qualities. We want it to be a starting place for our child to start with this and, and, and just grow into these, these names we've given them. Here in this story, we've got this woman who says, I want to call my son Ichabod. Glory is gone. Glory has departed. I mean, that's not only is it not a good name, it's just ugly. So when, when you read it, it it's meant to, to grab your attention and say, what's going on here? Why is this so serious? Um, what Phineas' wife, the mother of Ichabod, gets is that there is absolutely no such thing as luck. There's no such event that God's not in charge and not engaged with. She gets that. She understood her times. Let me, let me um, read some of it. She had been warned. Look at uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 27. Let me kind of fill you in again. Chapter 2, verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli. Now, remember, Eli is Phineas' wife, father-in-law. So Phineas' wife's husband, this is his dad. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. So Eli's going to tell his son, son's going to tell his wife. Or they're all listening in. I mean, a man of God shows up. And uh, he has a message for the priest, Eli. Said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? So in other words, didn't I give you everything you needed to do worship? Verse 29, why did you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel? You remember how the sons, Hophni and Phinehas, used to stick their three-pronged fork into the pots. And God here says, I came to you. Why did you honor that? Why did you allow that? Why did you go along with that? Just to make yourself fat with the best food? Really? This is his admonition. Verse 30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should, not walk, before me, should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, I will, will be lightly esteemed. I mean, you see the mercy in that. You honor me, I'll honor you. You don't honor me, I won't treat you as well. It's like, wow, you should destroy us. But even in God's judgment, 
it's, there's mercy. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fall, fail from weeping and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This is a sign, verse 34, this will be a sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. Now, God is saying, I'm going to come judge you because you're not honoring me. You're not glorifying me. You don't revere me. You don't worship me rightly. And this is the sign the judgment has begun. Hophni and Phinehas will die on the same day. So Phinehas' wife was warned. There's a prophecy from God given to us that Hophni and Phinehas will die the same day. Phinehas' wife would have known this message. She understood what was going on in her time. Now, imagine a scene of a husband and a wife. They've been having problems for a long time. He's committed affairs. She's committed affairs. They've both been unfaithful. They've both ignored the Lord, haven't been going to church regularly. And you come in the house one day, and there she is, the wife. And she's kneeling on a bare hardwood floor. Everything in the house has been removed. The husband has come. Divorce has come. He secretly come in, took everything out, even the pictures on the wall. And she's in a bare house crying. And you walk in. And you, you're her best friend. You try to console her. And you say, wow, this is terrible. What bad luck. You've really, you really had some bad luck. She's going to look at you like you are absolutely crazy. Why? Unfair? Yeah, life's not fair. But bad luck? Not bad luck. I've had affairs. My husband's had affairs. We've been at each other's throats forever. I knew this was going to happen. This is not bad luck. We deserve this. It's sad. But it's well deserved. And in the same time, when you get this story of Phineas' wife, she hears Hophni has died. Phineas has died. Eli has died. And she kneels down about to die herself and gives birth. Somebody says to her, bad luck. She says, are you crazy? This is not bad luck. The glory of God has departed. We have been warned. We knew this was going to happen. Will my people wake up and understand Ichabod? What it is like to live without the honor of God. If we don't honor God, he will leave. No glory. He will not honor us. She was the one person in this text who gets it. She understood what life was really all about. And we need to get it. I didn't want us to, to pass on through this, this passage and not see that. Now, why this story? 
We're going to get to chapter 6, which talks specifically about the word chance or the word luck. And that's why I'm introducing it here, because this is the beginning of a story that we're going to conclude in chapter 6. When you use the word chance or you use the word luck, there's three real popular definitions. The one we're going to use this morning is is very popular, but I'm going to probably use all three of them interchangeably. You can use the word luck or or chance to refer to um, risk. So uh, you might say, I wouldn't walk out on that ice too far. I wouldn't chance it. Or I wouldn't press my luck. That ice is kind of thin. We're saying there's a risk involved. We're using the word luck, chance, risk, all the same way. That's an okay use of that term. Another way we sometimes use the word chance or luck is uh, that uh, opportunity. Say, you know, with any luck at all, I'll get a nap today. I mean, it's, if, if I get an opportunity to get a nap, you know, I'll take it. Um, maybe there's a chance I'll get a nap today with any luck. That's, that's appropriate use. Now, the third use of the word chance or luck, so, so when I say don't use the word chance or luck, no, there's plenty of times you can use the terms. They're okay. But there's another use of the term that's very popular today, and that is, and you can look it up, uh, luck means or chance means an assumed, purposeless determiner of some event or happening. We use it in a popular way like, let the force be with you. The force, what is that? Well, it's, it's, a, it's an assumed, purposeless determiner of some event or happening or evolutionary process is sometimes an assumed purposeless determiner of an an event it's 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 just chance it's it's luck that it happened that is the way that Phineas wife is using it saying it's not luck it's not a purposeless determiner of events. Don't tell me I, I, I just had bad luck. That some purposeless thing just happened. No. There's a God who is in control. He's not purposeless. He's not assumed. He's real. And he is involved in this. He's warned us this was going to happen. Why do you credit this to bad luck. It's not bad luck at all. This is the hand of God. We are now a people without the glory of God. It has departed. So here's the message. If you take this view that you're having a bad day, you're having some bad experiences, you're having a bad life, your, your work's bad, your situation's bad, you just have a lot of bad luck. If you take that view... You're not only taking a view that's unbiblical, a view that's ungodly, but it's a view that's foolish. And people will look at you who know the truth and say, you're just crazy. 
Because it's not about bad luck. It's about God being in charge and us responding to Him the way He wants us to respond. Those who honor Him, chapter 2, verse 30, will be honored. Those who do not will be despised. I want you to see, we have a chance to lose glory. God gives us glory. He makes us glorious. And He demands of us His honor. We have a chance to lose that. If you've lost it, there's a chance we can take it. And there's a chance we can live it. I want you to see it in this passage. First of all, the glory of God had departed from Israel. Look over at chapter 6, verse 1. Here's the sign of that. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1. Now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines for seven months. How'd that happen? The ark of God, where God's presence was supposed to be visibly seen, had been removed, and now it's in uh, the Philistine camp, and it's been there for seven months. Uh, The priest of Israel was responsible for the ark of God, and they were in charge of making sure it was where it needed to be. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. It says, uh, Then Elkna went to his home, the boy... uh, ministered before the Lord and before Eli the priest. That's Samuel. Now verse 12. Now the sons of Israel were worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. So these priests were worthless, false teachers, didn't know the Lord. Verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men despised the offering of the Lord. So they, just, they do church, but they despise that they have to. You know, kind of thing is what's going on. Then chapter 2 already showed you, verse 27, a man of God comes and warns them. Verses 29 and 30, again, he warns them specifically, you're not honoring me. Now look over at chapter 4. They said, well, maybe we need to honor God by taking God into battle with us because we're losing the battle. So chapter 4, verse 1, says, thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped in Aphek, the Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of God. So that's what's going on. They take the Ark into battle. Let's go ahead and fast forward a little bit over to verse 11, chapter 4. The Ark of God was taken, and the two sons, Eli, Hophni, and Phine- of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, died. So when the Philistines took the ark, they killed Hophni and Phinehas in the process because they were guarding the ark. So there it goes, verse 12. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line, and he came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And he came, and behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What is this noise? What is this 
commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were set so he could not see. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, how did things go, my son? And then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off his seat backwards beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy, and he judged Israel for 40 years. All right, there you have it. Uh, the ark is gone. Uh, Eli got it. The big deal here is not that Hophni and Phinehas died. That's dreadful that I just lost my two sons. But the big deal is I just lost the ark of God. And then Phinehas' wife gets it. She said, we, we did what? Glory has departed. You can lose the glory of God. And there's nothing more dreadful in life than losing the glory of God. The, what this means is the covenant God who promised you, I will be with you forever. The same God who says, I will be with you forever, is now saying, I'm gone. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with you forever. That should shake us up. That's what's happening. And it shook Eli off his stool, and it shakes his daughter-in-law, Phineas, to her grave. And they realized the glory had departed. Um, let me share it. Uh, back, back in chapter 2, don't miss that. Let me, chapter 2, verse 30. Um, this is what's going on. The last part of it says, um, well, let me read the whole thing. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. In other words, what is he, what is he saying? I, I'm making a promise. I'm a covenant God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be you. I'm going to be your God forever. And then he comes and says, wait, 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 wait. Put that in context, won't you? That doesn't mean regardless of what you do. Far be it from me to be a God of a foolish, disrespectful, dishonoring people. Uh-uh. He says, far be it, that'd be crazy. Crazy God, I'm not going to be that. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Just contrast that, compare that with Matthew 28, 20. You remember Jesus promised to be with us forever. Look at that. Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus te says, teach them to observe all that I command you. And lo, like stop and notice this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that great promise? What's the context? The context is the same as in Samuel. It's worship. Verse 17, the disciples saw him and they worshiped him. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I am your God. You are my people. Now you make sure you teach the people Everything that I have commanded you, you honor me by obedience to everything I command you. Don't just teach, but teach them to observe. 
the people of God must obey the law of God. You teach them to honor me, and behold, I am with you forever. It's the same context. But if we are the people say, well, yeah, but worship doesn't mean to me teaching and preaching the Word of God so I can obey the Word of God. Worship to me means something else. It just means a good feeling. It means I get something. I don't have to do anything. It's just all about grace. If, if you want to say it just means you get to do whatever's right in your own eyes, God says, far be it from me that I'm going to be your God. Uh-uh. God said, that's not the way we play this game. Those who honor me will be honored. Those who choose to lose the honor will be lightly esteemed, won't be blessed, won't be exalted and honored. We need to get that. Look at lamentation. Uh, let me look at Isaiah first and then lamentation. Isaiah 59. So you, you, I want this, this, this principle to soak in. Isaiah 59 um, first two verses. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. His ear is not so dull, cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What is he saying? He says, Look, I am very capable of being your God. I'm very capable of saving you. I'm very capable of reaching you wherever you are. My hand is never so short that I can't reach you. My ear is never so dull that I can't hear your cry. If you cry out to me, I can hear it. And I can get to you. He says, but when you're in this situation where you feel like that's not happening, God's not listening, God's not delivering, I've got a lot of bad luck going on here. God says, when you're in that situation, do you not realize your sin is what's causing a separation between you and God. He says, the reason I'm not reaching you with my hand that's not too short or my ear that's not too dull is because you are choosing not to honor me. You want what you want without obedience. You want, what you, you want without reverence and respect and honor for me. God says, far be it for me to be that kind of God. That, that, that would be crazy. Look at Lamentation, chapter 3. So find Jeremiah, and then just go a few more pages. You got it. Jeremiah, Lamentation, chapter 3. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? And you just think about that. Why should you complain to God when it's your sins that's caused the separation between you and God. Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. We lift up our heart and hands towards God in heaven. We've transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and have not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. Jeremiah gets it. Jeremiah says the reason God's not responding is because we're not dealing with our sins. We're not dealing with our habit of not honoring Him. And God has this principle that those who honor Him are the ones who are honored. 
and not any other way. He says, until we do that, we need to see it's like a cloud is between us and God. It's our sins that are causing this separation. So back at Samuel, let me just ask you, do you feel like sometimes you're missing the blessings of God? Well, like Jeremiah was saying, probe your ways. Think about that a little bit. Wrestle with that. Is your marriage not going the way it ought to go? Is your work not really as prosperous as it ought to be? Is your child training not happening the way maybe it ought to happen? You know, is your worship sometimes a, a feeling of deadness and lack of life and you're not feeling and experiencing the blessing of God in all of that? Well, where's, where's God's honor and glory? Do you, do you glorify God in your marriage? Do, do you go to your husband or your wife and you say, you don't have to say it to them, you just say it in your heart. You say it to God. God, I am going to lay down my life for my spouse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I, she needs or he needs, and I'm going to build up this marriage to emulate Christ's marriage with his church, and I'm going to do it all for your glory. I don't care what it takes. I don't care the sacrifice. I don't care how much pain. It's for your glory. Is that your marriage? Do you raise your kids and say, God, I will, I will deny myself for them. I will spend and be spent for them. I will take the time to read them the scriptures so that they know the commands. I will teach that to them. It will take a lot of sacrifice and I'll get ridiculed, but I will do it because it's for your glory. Do you go into the workplace and say, God, what I do in this workplace, I do for you. I don't do it for the man. I don't do it for the boss. I do it for you. I want people to see you that you are the one I honor. You know, when you come to worship, is it, is it, is it about what we can get? Is it about, God, I am here to give and to give and to give you praise and adoration and your tithes and your offerings, whatever. I won't kick against the offering. I want to participate in your praise and honor. See, if we're not doing something like that, we can lose the glory. And so if you're, you're not experiencing the glory, the blessings that God wants to pour out, we just have to constantly examine ourselves and evaluate. Have I lost the glory? Is it Ichabod? Has the glory departed? Because I've been warned and warned and warned again through Scripture that the chief end of man is God's honor. And his glory. And so in marriage and in work and in church and in child training and everything I do, it needs to be about God's glory or we lose it. Well, the Israelites lost it. And we see how they begin to take it back. Over in chapter 5, 1 Samuel, the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon's their god. When the Ashdodites rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen. And then you remember the next verse. When they do it again, set him up. Verse 4, when they rose the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon, both his palms and his hands were cut off. So the Philistines thought, hey, we're going to have a party. 
This is going to be cool. We just captured the God of Israel. We're going to put him before our God, and our God's big and tall, and he's just a little box. We'll put him before it, and God knocks over their statue, their idol. They said, oh, I don't, you know, and they put him back up, and God knocks him off again and cuts off his hand and his head. He says, wait, wait, wait. You guys need to understand what the Israelites need to understand. I must be honored. You don't play with me. You know, they, they thought they could just play with the Israelite God. God said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. Even these non-Christians get it before the Israelites got it. Because God's teaching them a lesson here in their temple. There's one true God, and you must honor them. God afflicted them with rats and uh, rodents and tumors. The rats began to eat their crops, infest their land so that they caught diseases from those rats. And they got tumors all over their bodies. And the Philistines, who are non-Christian, uh, their priests, their temple and church folks, got together and said, well, you know, we got a problem here. The problem is we're not honoring the God of Israel. we got to figure out how to do that. We don't even have a Bible. But if we don't do that, we're doomed. It's one principle is clear for us. Those who honor him get blessing. Those who don't, it doesn't happen. Just ask Dagon. It's not happening. So they come up with a game plan. And that game plan is to honor the God of Israel. So down chapter uh, 6, verse 5, they said, So you shall make likenesses of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. See, they get it. What Israel should have got, perhaps, verse 5, perhaps he will ease his hand from you and your gods and your land. So perhaps God will honor you if you will just honor them. Verse 7, now therefore take and prepare a new cart and two uh, milk cows on which there's never been a yoke and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home, away from them. And just think about what's going on here. Take the ark of the Lord, place it on the cart, and put the articles of gold, which you return to him as a guilt offering in the box by its side, then send it away that it may go. Watch. If it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done this great evil. Who has? God has. But if not, then we will know it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance just bad luck we're going to go with the principle that God honors those who honor him we're going to take what we think is an appropriate offering and we're going to give it back to him and honor him but we're going to do it in a way that we're going to know God's in charge or not and this is what we're going to do we're going to take two milk cows and they're not only milk cows, they're nursing cows. They have two little babies back at home. We're going to lock up the babies so the babies can't nurse from their mothers. And we're going to build a cart, and we're going to put our offering on the cart. And then we're going to take these two milk cows who have never been yoked. A yoke is, you know, that big wooden thing usually that ties two, two critters together. So we're going to tie them together. Two mamas with two babies... And if you've ever tried to put a bridle or a, a yoke on any critter that's never had one, it's like they're fighting you tooth and nail to not get this thing on their neck. 
So they said, well, this is what we're going to do. Because this would really be literally impossible to, to yoke two mamas together. And then this tie, tie impossible on a tie possible. It's also going to be impossible for two mamas to walk away from their babies. Because the babies are going to be sitting here behind them in a pen. And the babies are going to be going, you know, whatever. What do, what do cows do? And they're just going to be constantly doing that. And mama's going to be saying, she needs to nurse. She needs to nurse. She needs to nurse. But if God's in this, these two cows are going to walk straight down the road away from their babies. They're not going to fight the yoke. And they're going to go straight back to Israel's property, Beth Shemesh. And then they're going to lay down their lives as an offering to God. What's the chance of that happening? They said, well, if it happens, God must be honored. If it doesn't happen, it's just bad luck. There must be some assumed determiner of a purposeless event. So they're putting this thing to the test. And, 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 and notice how it ends. So where what? Verse 12. And the cows took the straight way. Have you ever walked out in the pasture and seen the cow path? It's not typically the straight way. Sometimes it is if it's straight back to food. But the, the, the cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went. That means they were singing. These are singing cows. These cows are not crying about their babies. They're not crying about the yoke. They're just, mmm, mmm. Onward, Christian cow. You know, marching for the Lord, for His glory. They're, they're, they're singing on their way. And the Lord of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. I mean, you can imagine the leaders who come up with this plan. Man, this, this is unbelievable. And they're, they're following them all the way up to the place where it's would be unsafe. They're going to be committing an act of war to go, to go much further. Uh, so they follow, and, and the animals go all the way back. Verse 19, uh, they get to Beth Shemesh, and God strikes down some of the men of Beth Shemesh. Why? Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down all the people, of all the people, 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. What's going on? God brings the ark back by himself, and the people still don't respect that. Only the priests were to look into the ark. Some men just say, oh, let, let's see what's going on here. And they treat God with disrespect. They still aren't getting the message. Even the non-Christians got the message. It's like, you got to get this. There's a chance here for you to honor and worship God. Or you can still give your honor away to bad luck you can claim that as your god he says but the philistines are saying no that's not the way to go and we should see it's not the way to go you know it's as these cows even the cows get it i think um this is probably where we we get the reference to holy cow you know batman and robin were one day reading their bible and robin reads the story and says batman holy cow even the cows get it even these cows are consecrated. They lay down their lives for God. They sacrifice themselves for His honor and His glory. 
Surely we've got as much sense as a cow. We need to, to take up this life of giving glory to God. Um, well, give God the glory. Back in verse 10 of chapter 6, the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them together. Uh, you know, why? They put the ark of the Lord on the cart. Why? The cows went straight away. Why? Because we need to give glory to God. Uh, best image, a lot of God's people didn't get it. God destroys them. Uh, the God of the covenant still expects to be honored. Um, what do we learn from all this? We don't give glory to chance. We don't give glory to some process of an assumed determiner. What is, what is luck in that sense? It's, it's assumed it's, it's not a thing. Well, if it's not a thing, it's, it's no thing. It's nothing. And yet many times we credit certain things to our lives as, as though, well, that's just the way it is. And we cease to see, no, God is intimately involved in our lives, in our situation. It reminded me of a time when so many people told me I had uh, some really good luck or could have had some really bad luck. Um, I was uh, driving my father-in-law's backhoe. He used to have a, a big horse farm. Uh, Patty and I had been married about five years, and so he started trusting me, you know, a little bit. And so you don't want to trust your backhoe to just anybody. And it's, it's, it's a huge piece of machinery. And you need a big backhoe to bury a horse. You know, you got to dig some deep holes for these kind of things and work them. Well, I, I was thrilled to play on it some. I played on it some. And then there was this project where we were going to work on it. And I was going to pick up, he was going to chain some two-ton um, skids to this backhoe. And I was going to lift it up. Well, the first rule in backhoe operation is if ever something looks scary to you, something looks like it's going to tip over, anything like that, if you are a good backhoe operator, and I was not, if you are a good backhoe operator, the first thing you do is you drop all buckets. You, you drop things down. You don't leave them up in the air hanging. Well, I had this 2,000 pounds swinging out here on the end of the backhoe and it swung enough that the whole backhoe turns starts tipping over and I'm trying to you know I just froze instead of dropping the bucket which is what you should do you know I'm thinking what do I do I got to get out of here you know I'm starting to climb through the cage that gets you out through the top and then it's coming this way and I realized I can't climb straight up fast enough so I said, oh, I got to go, and I start looking to jump down as the steel is all falling around me. And I got pretty beat up. That's just the end of the story. Obviously, I survived. But I survived in a, in a case where people could quickly look at me and say, what happened? You were obviously in a terrible accident. You know, I'm black and blue and cut up and you know, just barely alive. What happened? Well, then you got to tell the story. Well, I tell the story how stupid I was, you know, in operating this backhoe, and it about killed me. And everybody said, wow, you sure were lucky. You sure were lucky. You sure were lucky. And after hearing that about a hundred times, I finally got mad and said, 
luck had nothing to do with it. God was merciful. God took a stupid backhoe operator who has sinned and offended him many times and chose to be merciful and gracious and kind to me. Why don't we get that? Why do we give credit to luck? We must honor God with His mercy and His grace and His kindness. So many times we take God out of the picture. God's not out of the picture. So what do you learn from this? Do you you begin to see, well, maybe I've not been giving credit where credit's due. Maybe I've not been honoring. Maybe I've not really gathered on the first day of the week to, to think about all of my blessings and to give Him praise. To give to God honor because honor is due. That's clearly one of the things, I mean, we need to learn. When somebody comes and says, man, that was just bad luck. We need to look at them like they are crazy. It's not bad luck. I deserved every bit of this. But God was good. And I need to honor him. And you need to honor him. We think about that. You know, perhaps you're going through some sort of affliction, like the Philistines. The Philistines had tumors. The Philistines had cancer. The Philistines had serious diseases. The Philistines had lost their crops. They had very difficult work arguments and complaints about how to grow in the midst of the disease and the affliction and how to prosper. Are we at least as smart as them and say, well, in my cancer, I'm going to give God credit and glory. In my disease and tumor, I'm going to give God credit and glory. In my downfall financially, I'm going to give God credit and glory. I'm going to honor Him who deserves to be honored. Because if I choose not to honor him, far be it from him to honor me and bless me. The Philistines had enough sense to say, our lives matter to God for some reason. We need to honor him. We need to throw the worship back. We need to see that too, that life is not by chance. Our financial trouble, our tumors, our diseases, our cancer, our whatever, it's not by chance. It's not bad luck. It's not an assumed, imaginable determiner that somehow has invaded our space and affected us. No, God is still on His throne. And we need to be done with chance. Back in chapter 2, verse 30. Far be it from me, God says, for those who honor me, I will honor Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Hear God chant, bring me glory, bring me glory. I wonder if on this journey that we live, every time we are obedient, every time we we grasp another aspect of the law of God and the, the way of Christ for us, and we obey, I wonder if that great, cloud of witnesses in heaven that is looking down upon us that's mentioned there in Hebrews 12 as we run the race before us perhaps they chant glory 
And as we get closer to heaven and more fully obedient to the Lord and more conformed to the perfect righteousness of Christ and more dependent upon Christ and His righteousness for our obedience, that they chant glory, glory, glory. And as we hit that final gate and enter into heaven, Christ looks at his Father and says, Glorified. My bride, she now is without spot or blemish. Let her be glorified. She who was justified, converted, given faith and repentance, who has been through this process of sanctification, she who was adopted is now glorified fully because those who honor me I will honor. Those who glory in me will be glorified. What is our chief end? It is to glorify God in all things. Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as a people who need to weep for the times We have been foolish and crazy. Crazy enough to just completely ignore you and wipe you out of our lives. Father, how foolish. Forgive us. Let us return to you and give you glory. Let us learn how to do marriage. Let us learn how to do child rearing. Let us learn how to do our work. Let us learn how to do our relationships for your glory and your honor. And Lord, let us not kick against the offerings. Let us us learn how to worship for your glory. Lord, we all need to probe our own hearts and examine ourselves. Let us have that needed time of honoring you by examining ourselves and turning from every part that it's not holy and honoring and godly. Father, there are people in this room that are addicted to to different idols. Some are addicted, like Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, to food. They just want to make themselves fat with pleasure instead of honoring you with every bite and every drink. Lord, release them from that bondage. There are others addicted to pornography, men and women both, always seeking their pleasure and not giving you glory. There are those who idolize themselves and worship them over their spouse or their kids. Father, release them for your glory. There are those who worship a particular church or event instead of in that event and church worship you. Father, let them turn from their idols to you. Lord, we seek cleansing from sin and righteousness from Christ. Draw us to your hand of mercy and grace that we might honor you now. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we take the Lord's Supper together, let me read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And into a little bit of chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Paul is saying there, he says, you need to live your life in such a way, whether you eat or drink, you do it for the glory of God. And he says part of that means that you're involved in ministry and your ministry is for the benefit of others doing everything for the glory of God and you don't do it for your profit he says I don't do it for my profit and he says and I want you to imitate me like I'm imitating Christ because Christ didn't do it for his profit either Christ died on the cross that we might be honored before the Lord before for God in heaven Paul says I am dying to myself to minister to you so that you might profit before the Lord. You might turn from sin and glorify in Him whether you eat or drink. So this morning as we eat and drink of the Lord's Supper, let us do it, not for our profit. Say, Lord, I want you to take away my sin so you get the profit, so you get the glory. Christ, I want to remember that Christ died for glory, for the glory set before Him. He ran the race, paid the price for our sins. So let's remember Christ and learn to live for God's profit, for God's glory. Well, I ask that-